Uh, <laughs> I actually need you guys to stand back up. You're going to help me start things off for this particular talk. If, if this goes well, it will lead really well into what I want to do this morning. If it goes poorly, it's just going to be really stupid. So, um, but it's on you guys. You've got to come through for me, and hopefully you, your brain responds the way I think it might respond. So what I need you to do is... Uh, just use your imagination a little bit this morning. So if you need to close your eyes to imagine or if you can just, you know, stare at a bright light or something, whatever you got to do. Um, I need you to imagine that you have just finished, uh, like you're working in the garden or something. You're doing something with your hands. If you're in the garage, maybe, the, uh, maybe you have just a bunch of dirt on your hands, maybe some gunk from the garage. Or maybe you've been playing in the snow and you got snow all over your gloves. You need to, need to clean them off, Okay. Um, but you don't have time to run inside and actually wash them. You're just in the moment. I'm, I'm, I'm in the garden. I'm in the garage. I'm in, I'm in the yard. Whatever it is, your hands have stuff on them, and you want to get them off. So I'm going to count to three. And on three, I want you to do whatever you would do to clean your hands off. Okay? It's not going to be one, two, three, go. It's just going to be one, two, three. And on three, everybody just do what you would do in that moment. I got stuff on my hands. How am I going to, how am I going to get these things clean? Okay? So are you ready to do it? Your imagination set? Okay. One, two, three. Oh, so good. Good job. I think somebody was reaching for grass. See, that's Jim, that's what my kids did when we tried this last night. I'm like, why are you wiping it on your clothes? And then I realized, oh, you don't pay for your clothes. That's why you wipe your hand on your clothes. But you, pay, you likely paid for that shirt maybe, and so you can do whatever you want. Um, so, but good reaction. For the most part, it was... Let me, let me brush these things off really quick and get back to business. So that was good. Now, uh, same thing, but now it's your feet. So it, it, you've, you've got mud on your feet, maybe snow on your feet. You're walking into church, walking to your house, don't have time to take the shoes off. You need to run in for something or you're climbing into your car. Don't have those nice uh, weather tech floor mats in your, in your car yet for the winter. You want to keep, so you just need to knock some things off your shoes you want to walk in it out. So same thing, count of three, whatever you would do in your imagination, you got stuff on your shoes and you need to clean them off, okay? One, two, three. Yes, you guys did exactly what I was hoping you would do. You can have a seat. Thanks for helping. So, so the question is, why does that work? Why, why could I predict, I, I mean, we're not talking Nostradamus stuff here, but why could I predict what you may have done in reaction to dirt on your hands or snow on your boots, whatever it is. Well, I think a lot of it comes down to we know the condition that our hands should be in in those moments, right? If we're going inside, we need to handle something. We don't want dirt on our hands. We don't want to track snow or mud into the house. And so we do what we need to do to clean those things off, especially if we don't have time to take uh, more significant action. But sometimes in order to get our hands from what they are to what they need to be, what they should be, what our desired condition is, Sometimes it requires some action. Sometimes it requires maybe even some aggressive action in order to achieve what we want. It takes a little bit of violence to knock something off our hands, a little bit of aggression to get things off of our feet. And sometimes there is a significant difference. This, this came up a little bit in our parenting series uh, uh, several weeks ago. But sometimes there's a significant difference between the desired condition of something and the actual condition. There's, there's a gap between where you want something to be and where it currently is. That's true for your hands if they're dirty, your feet if there's snow on. You got to do something, shake them up, clap them off. It, it's the same if you're at work and you're working on a project. Maybe you have some capability. Maybe you have a great starting point. But sometimes you need a boss or a supervisor 
or a more experienced coworker to step in and help guide you from what you can do, what you're capable of, into what they desire of you, what has been asked of you, right? And, and same if you're uh, learning how to play an instrument or working on your jump shot. You can do what you can do, and there's, there can be some progress made, but sometimes you need feedback. Sometimes you need some very constructive, hard-to-hear feedback on where you currently are, what they're seeing in you, and yet even though there is signs of progress, signs of good things happening, you need to hear some feedback to correct some things and get to where they want you to be, get to where you want to be, right? Same, same with your heart, same with your faith, finding Jesus, growing in that faith, growing in our walk with him, right? There are good things, but there are things, maybe there is a gap between where we are and where we've been called to be, what we've been created to be. And so this, in many ways, the issue that we're going to get into today probably could have fit in last week with some of the stuff we talked about, about being unfaithful and what God was seeing in his people. But I think this issue needed to stand on its own because the issue that we address today really has, has big ramifications both for this life and what we experience on this planet and the next life and what we experience when this current life is over. And so uh, this issue comes up quite a bit in Scripture Old Testament and New Testament, Jesus and others warn about it throughout um, so much teaching, sometimes very blunt, sometimes mixed in with some parables and, and teachings. Uh, first one is Ezekiel 33, 31, where it says, My people come to you, talking about God, as they usually do, and sit before you to hear your words, but they do nothing to put them into practice. Their mouths speak of love, but their hearts are greedy for unjust gain. Titus 1.16, switching over to the New Testament. This one is pretty blunt. Talking about people. They claim to know God, but by their actions, they deny him. They are detestable, disobedient, and unfit for doing anything good. So they're talking about there, there's something that's being observed here where there's, there are claims being made. There are actions that maybe appear to be spiritual, but in the end, their hearts have nothing to do with God and what he wants. Jesus hits this a couple times in the book of Matthew. So Matthew 7, 21, in the middle of the Sermon on the Mount, he says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name drive out demons and in your name perform many miracles? Then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers. Similar phrase over in Matthew 15 where he's actually quoting the book of Isaiah, uh, Isaiah 29. And Jesus says, you hypocrites. Isaiah was right when he prophesied about you. These people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. They worship me in vain. Their teachings are merely human rules. Guys, this is a, a forever human problem. This has is, this is long been the biggest problem with religion where the outside is for show. Outside looks great. I know the songs. I memorized a bunch of verses when I was a kid. I can recite them. I can say what I need to say. I can look the way I need to look. I can look and be what I think that I'm supposed to look like and be like, but on the inside, it's all about me. Or maybe it's just 
being careless. Maybe it's going through the motions. Maybe it's being apathetic towards this thing that we call faith, apathetic towards the things of God. And out of that comes sloppy worship, pathetic offerings, devaluing of things that God values like marriage and other stuff where it, it, it almost sounds like the churches in Revelations, and we mentioned them last week as well, where they, they had forgotten their first love, forgotten what they had been called to be, forgotten what they had been called to do as the body of Christ. They were lukewarm. They had a fake faith. A major gap between what they were, what God was seeing in them, and what he had called them to be, what he had created them to be. And in those moments, just like with our hands, just like with our feet, just like in moments where we need feedback at work or at school or with our jump shot, sometimes we need help closing that gap from where we are to what we need to be, what we've been created to be. There's a pretty good line in, in um, this particular book about this passage that I thought might drive it home just a little bit more. In talking about this passage, this author says, too many Christians today live as if they have a spiritual form of a split personality disorder. They take Jesus' words completely out of context and say that life is divided. Part of what I do is religious, and the rest is secular, and never the two shall meet. This works out in practice by saying that for two hours on a Sunday morning, I can attend to spiritual things, but the rest of the time is mine. Unfortunately, there's often no discernible impact of those two or three God hours on any element of our remaining hours of the week, and religion has nothing to do with life in practical terms. It's no wonder. We, we, we saw last week in Malachi chapter 2 where God shows his hand a little bit and shows his exasperation. It's like, the, I am wearied with your words, God says in, in Malachi 2.17. It's like, I am I am over this, right? Because he had seen us forgetting how faithful he'd been, forgetting how much he has loved us, forgetting how, how glorified he was in the contrast between his relationship with those in a relationship with him and how he interacted and how he blessed and those outside of the relationship and how their lives go, how he interacts with them. And his people had forgotten to be faithful to him. They were, their leaders were unfaithful. They were unfaithful to each other. They had forgotten about the least of these, those who need to know about God the most. They had been ignored. And God is saying, I'm, I'm done with this. You always say the right things. doesn't mean anything to me. You always do the right things. It doesn't mean anything to me. Your heart is far from me. And so God, in the midst of all this, we switch over to Malachi chapter 3. And we see what God has to say. Because in the midst of that mess, in the midst of the unfaithfulness and the forgetfulness and all those different things, God makes a pretty major declaration about what he's going to do. Because remember, Malachi is that necessary rebuke, right? This is what I'm seeing. This is what needs to be fixed. But in the midst of it, a powerful reminder. And that shows up here in Malachi 3. So Malachi 3.1. God says, I will send my messenger. Now this is messenger number one. Who will prepare the way before me. Then suddenly the Lord you are seeking will come to his temple, the messenger of the covenant, that's messenger number two, the messenger whom you desire will come, says the Lord Almighty. So God says, okay, this is what I'm seeing. Let me rebuke you for this. Let me call you out for that. You've been unfaithful in these areas. You've forgotten how much I've done, how I've blessed you and your people, all of these different things. He said, in the midst of that, the time is coming. I'm going to send a messenger. And we know that to be John the Baptist. And he's going to prepare the way. He's going to set the stage. He's going to start preaching what Jesus is going to preach about the kingdom and repentance. And so when Jesus shows up, there's a little bit of groundwork already. I'm going to send that guy. 
And then I'm going to send messenger number two. That's the one you've been waiting for. That is your Messiah. That is your Savior. That is Jesus. That's the one that I've been promising. And now, this is definitely cause for celebration, right? We could, we could take Malachi 3.1 and we can put it on a big poster and that can be our special Christmas verse. He's coming, kingdom come, joy to the world, all those different things and that can be great and it should be, right? It is a celebration that the Messiah was coming and that the Messiah has come. But... As we get into the next few verses, we find out that this arrival of the Christ child doesn't come with just a bunch of tinsel and lights. There's an element of seriousness to it. So we'll continue on to verse 2, and we find out just what this arrival of the Messiah looks like outside of some of the celebrations in the singing. Malachi 3.2. But who can endure the day of his coming? Who can stand when he appears? For he will be like a refiner's fire or a launderer's soap. We'll come back to those two things in a second. He will sit as a refiner and a purifier of silver. He will purify the Levites, that's the teachers that he was yelling at last week, and refine them like gold and silver. Then the Lord will have men who will bring offerings in righteousness, and the offerings of Judah and Jerusalem will be acceptable to the Lord as in days gone by, as in the former years. So I will come to put you on trial. I will be quick to testify against sorcerers, adulterers, and perjurers, against those who defraud laborers of their wages, who oppress the widows and the fatherless, and deprive the foreigners among you of justice, but do not fear me, says the Lord Almighty. So it's like our hands and feet activity from a second ago, right? It, something's not right. The, the status of our feet, of our hands, is different from what we want them to be, and so there has to be some aggressive action taken to clear those things off. So Jesus, God says, I'm going to send Jesus, I'm going to send this Messiah, and it'll be beautiful, it'll be amazing, there'll be angels and singing and lights, and yet, he's going to come like a refiner's fire. And if you know about refining gold and silver and all those different things, it, it's to burn away the things that are worthless, burn away the things that are fake, and only leave the things of true value. The things that matter, the things that should be there, the real things, the strong things. And then he, he talks about launderer's soap. And, and this, this is similar to the refiner's fire. Um, so obviously most of us have washing machines these days. And even if you don't, you can hit a laundromat and do the same basic thing. But back in the day, those things didn't exist. And so someone had to wash the laundry, the, the towels, the sheets, the garments, all of those different things. And so action had to be taken in order to achieve what they wanted to achieve. So he mentions the launderer's soap. Now, um, lots of different soaps throughout the centuries that people use, different types, even at the same time. By the way, fun fact, this has nothing to do with what we're talking about. Fun fact, uh, apparently, if you store urine for a number of months, you'll be left with like an ammonia-type uh, liquid that can get stains out of your clothes. So worse comes to worse. Just start storing up urine uh, in a little glass mason jar or something, and then if you get yourself in an emergency, you can just pull out that old pee and uh, wash your shirt. Now you'll smell awful, but your shirt will be nice and white. So that's, that one's for free. Um, but anyway, so they're doing laundry, and they would have, similar to what you do if you're washing your car or whatever, some soapy water, and they would put that garment in there and get it soaped. Now, for the easy stuff, just... Being just soaking in the soapy water is going to get the job done. Not a big deal. That's the easy stuff. And then sometimes maybe just a little bit of ringing, just a little bit of friction to get stuff out. But sometimes for the big stuff, the stuff that was a little bit more difficult, the stuff that was that's harder to get out on your own, harder to get out with just a little bit of work. 
they would literally beat the crap out of it. So they got stains, they got dirt, and they would have paddles similar to this, not exactly, sometimes just a big stick, and so they would soak it in the soap and water, and they would have to create enough violence, create enough aggression, acting against the garment in order to get the really bad stains out. So they would literally just come up and whack the thing, and it would, they would soak it and whack it, and the dirt along with the soapy water would come flying out of these garments, and ultimately get the towel, get the shirt, get the sheet back to its desired condition, closer to its originally created designs. They would have to hit it and soak it some more and smack it again until the job was done. Now, I think you're seeing where the picture goes. God came to put our faith on trial. He came as a refiner's fire. He came with some launderer's soap. He said, you guys need some help. You're having a difficult time distinguishing between what's real and what's fake, between where you are and where I want you to be. And so I've come to help you with that because you're having a hard time telling the difference. Even with your Bible verses, even with your great worship songs, even with your Sunday best, you're having a hard time. But I'm here because I can tell the difference between what's real and what's fake. He says, I can tell who truly loves me and who's just going through the motions. In verse 5, he says, I can see some of that hidden garbage that other people aren't picking up on. I can pick up on it. I can tell the difference between all those things and those who claim to know me, but those who really don't. So he comes with a refiner's fire. He comes with launderer's soap. He comes to put us on trial. Now, the question is, what does this look like in our lives? What does it look like to be on trial here in life? What does it look like to experience the refiner's fire or the launderer's soap? Well, it, it can come in a lot of different forms. Sometimes it's simply allowing us to live in the consequences of our actions. Where God says, all right, if you're going to make decision A, I'm going to let you experience consequence A. If you're going to make decision B, I'm going to let you experience consequence B. He doesn't have to do anything except allow you to live the life you've chosen to live and let those consequences refine you. And mess with you. Sometimes just lets us do our thing. Sometimes it comes with sleepless nights. This is a, a big one for me. You find yourself laying there awake at 3 a.m. Why does that happen? Now, there are certainly many causes for insomnia that go beyond this. And yet sometimes I think God lets us lay there awake at night because in those moments we have nothing better to do than to listen to him. He's got us alone for a moment with the radio off and the phone away from us and the TV off and the kids asleep. Sometimes it's sleepless nights. Sometimes that fire, sometimes that launderer's soap comes with the right Bible verse or the right challenge at the right time and it just cuts you like a knife, doesn't it? Right? It's just the right verse in the right moment and it gets to you. It starts to mess with your heart. And grows from there into your mind and into your life. Sometimes it's not a Bible verse. Maybe sometimes it's just truth or just very honest, constructive feedback from a family member or a friend. Where they're seeing something in your life. They have something they need to bring you. It's not something you wanted to hear. It's something you needed to hear. And all of a sudden, it starts churning things up. The refining process can get started. Sometimes God refines us by allowing pain in our lives, allowing seasons of difficulty, maybe even allowing us to experience loss of some kind. 
No one would ever ask for that, right? No one would ever wish that upon someone. And yet sometimes God allows those things to happen in our lives, even tragic things, even big things, to start cutting at our heart a little bit, to start refining us, to start laundering some of those things out, start to put some of our actions and, and thoughts of our heart on trial to start messing with us in that way. Sometimes it's simply change. Because change is hard work, it requires discipline. There's a lot of emotions that go on in the midst of change. So sometimes God simply allows us to experience some of those things in seasons of change. And all of those things, sometimes individually, sometimes we get hit with a, with a few of them at the same time. And a lot of times it's God saying, all right, I love this person. I know what they're meant to be. I know what they've been created to be. I know what they're capable of. And yet there's some fake things. There. There's, some, there's a lack of value. There's some things in the way there. And just, just living life isn't doing it. So let's allow this to happen. And let's start messing with them and pushing in this direction. Let's, let's make them more and more. Because you might be thinking, okay, well, why would a God of love talk like this? Why would a God of love act like this? But you have to remember, it's a cleansing. It's a refining. It, it's not for the purpose of destruction. It's for the purpose of restoration, right? The refining process doesn't destroy the gold. It doesn't destroy the silver. It gets rid of all the stuff that shouldn't be there. The laundering process, we wash clothes all the time. It's not meant to destroy the shirt. It's not meant to destroy the garment or the sheet or your towel. It's meant to restore it back closer to its originally created condition, back to what it could be instead of what it is. It's an important process. It's a healthy process. And God takes us through that process. He takes his people through that process. And that has been the whole plan since Eden. When humans chose to step away from God's originally created design, God has been pulling us and pushing us and prodding us back to what he's wanted us to be, putting us through what we need. Because our natural tendency is to run from being changed, to run from being healed, to run from restoration and to fight that and resist it. But God all the while is speaking truth and showing the way, wanting to heal and fix and restore. That's always been the plan. It's the plan he's talking about in Malachi. It's the plan that was put into action when Jesus showed up on Christmas morning. So it finishes, I want to finish Malachi 3 and go to verse 16. Kind of bring it back to Christmas a little bit this morning. It says, Then those who feared the Lord talked with each other, and the Lord listened and he heard. A scroll of remembrance was written in his presence concerning those who feared the Lord and honored his name. And he says, On the day when I act, they will be my treasured possession. He's starting to fix it, He's starting to heal, He's starting to restore. I will spare them just as a father has compassion and spares his son who serves him. And you will again see the distinction between the righteous and the wicked, between those who serve God and those who do not. See, we have to remember, how does God cleanse? How does God restore? How does he do the refining? How does he do what he wants to do? It happens through Jesus. And so Jesus' birth and life and his presence in our story are everything. He shows us exactly what it's supposed to look like. When you're obedient, this is what it looks like. When you're walking with Jesus, this is what it looks like. When you're following life according to God's plan, this is what it looks like. It looks like Jesus. He shows us what that looks like. And in the midst of it, he shows us how to show the world what that looks like. And so we see last week God finishing up in chapter 2 expressing his absolute exhaustion with our lack of faith. 
and our disobedience. But then immediately in chapter 3, starts moving us back towards the solution. Because in his birth, Jesus fulfills all the promises that had been made throughout Scripture. And in his life, he shows us what real faith looks like, what it looks like to walk with God. And in his death, not only are we able to see what it looks like, but now we can experience it for ourselves. We can experience forgiveness and experience freedom, experience the full life we were meant to live here on this planet and experience eternity with him after this life is over. But in the midst of it all, he's the only judge between who was real and who was fake. And so the big question today becomes, how real is your faith? How real is your faith? Does your faith look like Jesus? Because that's the big test. Remember, James chapter 2 says faith without works, faith without expressing it out in the real world, without some transformation happening as an expression of what's on the inside, faith without works is worthless. And Matthew 16 goes even further and says that if Jesus says, if you're going to follow me, I need you to take up your cross, experience what I've experienced, sacrifice what I'm sacrificing, and follow me. Does your faith look like Jesus? Does it look like him? And is it costing you anything? And I would say if you're not sure, start with the Gospels. It's a great time to start reading Matthew or Luke because you're going to start with the Christmas story, some form of it, and you can move on from there. Okay, how did Jesus talk to these people? When, when he was faced with this situation, how did he respond? How did he talk to that woman or those kids? How did he respond when challenged in that way? How did he answer that question? How did Jesus live? How did he express his obedience to his father. And I would say, if you can make your life look like that, you're on the right track. Does your faith look like Jesus? And more importantly, when it comes to your faith being real, is your faith in Jesus? Is your faith in Jesus? Because not only is he the one who shows us what restoration looks like, he's the one through whom the restoration happens. It's not church attendance. It's not going to get it done. It can't be based on the faith of your family. Right? I don't care how amazing your grandparents are. Their faith has nothing to do with your status in Christ. It's not about being good. It's not about being better than most. Guys, it's 2021. Being better than most is pretty easy these days. Amen. It's not about the right voting record. It's not about having the right stance on current events. It's not about how you feel about current events and issues. It's all about Jesus. Is your faith in him and his work on the cross and what he came to do as a sacrifice for us? And this is where everything is on the line because as he expressed so, so perfectly in Matthew, some people are going to get to the end and realize that their faith was on the wrong things. Their faith was in other people, on their own, their own works, on other expressions of spirituality and things like that. And they're going to be surprised because we struggle to evaluate what's real and what's fake. Our faith has to be in Jesus. Everything is on the line. Got to get this right. That's what it comes down to. The band's going to come and, and sing one more song for us. It's called King of the World. And I, it's just a really important reminder that in the midst of all these things, and really what, what Malachi comes down to, what our lives come down to, is so many moments where we just try to do things our way. I'm strong enough, I'm smart enough, 
successful enough. I look the right way. I act the right way. I talk the right way. I know the songs, right? I show up to church enough times every month to, to kind of check my boxes, right? And, and all good things, all fine things, but those things don't save us. Those things don't change us. They don't transform us. They don't refine us. They don't bring us back to what we were created to be, what we've been designed to be, what we're capable of in Christ. It has to be Jesus. He is the king. And every opportunity we take to sit on that throne, it moves us further and further and further away from what he has for us. And yet he calls us back. In the midst of our unfaithfulness, he is faithful. If we can simply remember that I'm not the king, he is the king of the world.